Welcome to the World Beyond the Tale, the Page a Day American Gods podcast. I'm your host, James, and today we're reading page 237. Everything's good, said Mabel. I make it. But this is the furthest south and east of the UP that you can get pasties, and they are particularly good. Warm and filling, too. My specialty. Shadow had no idea what a pasty was, but he said that would be fine, in a few, and in a few moments, Mabel returned with a plate with what looked like a folded-over pie on it. The lower half was wrapped in a paper napkin. Shadow picked it up with a napkin and bit into it. It was warm and filled with meat, potatoes, carrots, onions. First pasty I've ever had, he said. It's real good. They're a yuppie thing, she told him. Mostly you need to be at least up ironwood to get one. The Cornishmen who came over to work the iron mines brought them over. Yuppie? Upper Peninsula. U-P. Yuppie. Where the youpers come from. It's the little chunk of Michigan to the northeast. The chief of police came back. He picked up the hot chocolate and slurped it. Mabel, he said, are you forcing this nice young man to eat one of your pasties? It's good, said Shadow. It was, too. A savory delight wrapped in hot pastry. They go straight to the belly, said Chad Mulligan, patting his own stomach. I warn you. Okay, so you need a car? With his parka off, he was revealed to be a lanky man with a round apple belly gut on him. He looked harassed and competent, more like an engineer than a cop. Shadow nodded, mouthful. Right. I made some calls. Justin Leibowitz selling his Jeep. Wants $4,000 for it. We'll settle for three. The Gunthers have had their Toyota 4Runner for sale for eight months. Ugly son of a bitch. But at this point, they'd probably pay you to take it out of their driveway. If you don't care about ugly, it's got to be a great deal. I used the phone in the men's room. In the men's room? I used the phone in the men's room, left a message for Missy Gunther down at Lakeside Realty, but she wasn't in yet, probably getting her hair done down at Sheila's. The pasty remained good as Shadow chewed his way through it. It was astonishingly filling. Stick to your ribs food, as his mother would have said. Sticks to your sides. And that's our page. Now we officially discover what pasties are. They were first mentioned by the bus driver, and then Mabel on the previous page. As Mabel mentions, they come from Cornwall, brought by the Cornishman who came to Michigan. If he can't quite place Cornwall in the novel, remember back to Essie Trugowan and her piskies. Hey, Jimmy. This is an excellent time to tell you to check out Brits on Bikes, a real play podcast of the tabletop game Kids on Bikes. Jimmy's good people, too. Find the show at Brits on Bikes. Nope. Find the show at Brits underscore Bikes on Twitter and angryimpstudios.podbean.com. Pause this. Do it now. I'll wait. The traditional version of the pasty is covered by laws in Europe so that if you make one, they have to be made a particular way. Beef, sliced or diced potatoes, swede, which is a root vegetable like a turnip, and onion. It seems a bit silly at first blush, but pasty sales make up about 6% of all food sales in Cornwall, so I can understand why they'd want to protect that. Plus, you can make your own version, you just can't sell it as a traditional Cornish pasty unless it meets certain authenticity benchmarks. It prevents shithead companies like McDonald's from coming in with their own pasty and flooding the market with shitty knockoffs. I think? I may not fully understand it, but that won't stop me from commenting on it. I'm American, I'm white, I'm male, and a podcaster. I consider it my duty. The pasty itself goes back to at least the 1200s, and there are mentions of the pasty throughout English history. And they became more popular with miners due to being basically a full meal contained in a delicious hot pocket. Not the literal copyrighted hot pocket. Surely that's protected by... Oh, it's a Nestle product. Well, it's fucking Satan that protects them.
Fuck you, Nestle, you cunts. Mabel mentions Ironwood, and Ironwood is a town in the upper peninsula of Michigan, less than 20 miles south of Lake Superior. Once a mining town, as mentioned, iron, mostly. Now it's a tourist space, most especially for skiing and, and other winter weather sports and activities. Of interest to Wednesday, perhaps, it contains a 52-foot statue of Hiawatha, a native leader and co-founder of the Iroquois Confederacy. Longfellow also stole the name for his 1855 poem, The Song of Hiawatha, which I thought was actually about the historical man, but no, completely made up. So now I'm not really certain who the statue is meant to represent, the man or the fictional man of the poem. This dichotomy would certainly amuse Wednesday as well, but I do believe it is actually the historical figure, not the myth created by the poem. There's a difference between American folk heroes such as John Chapman, a.k.a. Johnny Appleseed, and American folk legends like Paul Bunyan, but I'm getting a bit ahead of myself and ahead of the novel. Suffice it to say that Hiawatha falls into both of these non-fictional and fictional portrayals, and I think that's fascinating. Current population of Ironwood is about 5,000. In the late 1800s, immigrants arrived to help work the iron mines, and their gods followed. Before the turn of the century, there were at least 12 separate churches in the town to serve these various communities. And another odd connection between briefly mentioned places in the novel, there is a Frederick Street in Ironwood named for Frederick Rhinelander, for whom the previously discussed Rhinelander, Wisconsin, was named. Also of note, in Norse mythology, there is a forest known as Harnevoir, which translates as Ironwood. It is inhabited by troll women and giant wolves, including one wolf known as Maganamar. No, that's not it. That's a Pokemon. Managmar. Managarmer? Let's say Managarmer. Sure, why not? Who will swallow the moon during Ragnarok. As a fellow apple belly, shout out to my man, Chad Mulligan. Also, I didn't look it up on the previous page because I was gassing on, and here I am again gassing on, but Mulligan is an Irish surname which originally meant grandson of the bald man, which could be a coincidence or could be a nod to the previously mentioned Conan the Bald. It also means that Mulligan is a good Irish cop, much like the officer featured in the Bishop game. Does this mean that Mulligan is actually in on the whole thing? And by the whole thing, I mean something I haven't actually discussed yet because I think it's a pretty heavy spoiler, but, well, shit. Spoiler alert. No, I don't know if it's a personal connection or not, but it would seem odd not to be at least a wink and a nod on Neil's part here. More small details we get about Lakeside, though. Family names, Leibowitz, Gunther, a hairstylist named Sheila. It's all subtle, but there's there's just world building going on on every page here, and it's fantastic. Also, it says that Chad made a call from the bathroom. Like, is there just a payphone right by the toilet in case you need to shit and shout? Piss and phone? That doesn't have the same consonant sound, though. Fuck. I guess in 2000, he wouldn't be able to get an instant answer, and you got to call as soon as you can, but Jesus Christ, don't touch that thing. It's got to be filthy. Maybe it comes into play later. Not the piss phone here, but just, I don't know. I'm trying to, now I'm trying to wonder if maybe Chad was calling around about Mike Ainsel to see if he had a criminal record or anything else, and then just happened to call in on the uh, the car stuff as well. Get in touch with the show at theworldbeyondthetail at gmail.com and on Twitter at worldbeyondpod. Thank you to Julian Cranganage for the use of his version of St. James Infirmary Blues as the show's theme. And thank you for listening. I'll be back tomorrow with another page, and remember, only the gods are real. <laughs>